Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Episode 33, Holidays. Welcome to the Dublin Story Slam podcast with this very special holiday themed story. And when I say holidays, I'm thinking beaches, sun, maybe a nice uh, exotic drink or two. Uh, something where you're able to go away and turn the brain off. But as relaxing as holidays can be, uh, it's usually the ones that are relaxing are actually the kind of boring ones. They're the ones where everything goes well and everything is perfect and you come back totally relaxed. But in this episode of the Dublin Story Slam podcast, we're going to focus on holiday stories that stand out more so because of what went wrong rather than what went right. My name is Julian Clancy and this is the Dublin Story Slam podcast. Now, our very first story comes from way back in 2019 when the theme of the night was travel. Our storyteller was Johnny Blaney, who got up and told a story not so much actually about his holidays, but his attempts to fly back home to Ireland. This is Johnny Blaney. Um, This is a story... Uh, about everything that could possibly go wrong um, coming back from Thailand. So I don't know if many of you have been to Thailand, but it's a wonderful place full of nature and uh, there's beautiful islands and I didn't see any of those. Uh, I just uh, saw the Koh San Road because I was actually coming back from New Zealand. So I was on the Koh San Road for four days, which is something no one should ever do um, because it's horrible um, and it's like a cesspit of human endeavour. So... (laughs) I arrived on this Sunday, and I had no money left because I'd been travelling for two months. Um, So I was eating vegetarian street noodles and generally kind of wary for... I mean, I was worried about people stealing things that I didn't have. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so I I kind of loitered around for a while, and on the Monday night, uh, I was staying in this wonderful establishment called the D&D Inn, which was the cheapest place you could stay. Uh, and I bumped into some friends who were going to Australia on Monday night, and it was great because they kind of like took me out and they're like, let's get boozed. Uh, and they got these things in Thailand called buckets, which I didn't know what they were. Um, so I had a bucket, which is the small bottle of kind of methamphetamine, uh, with the <laughs> small bottle of Coca Cola and some ice. And they pour it into a sand bucket and they mix it up and they smile when they give it to you because they know <laughs> it's going to completely fuck this white person up. 
So had one bucket. I was like, these are great. Tastes like cowpaw. Had another bucket. Don't remember what happened. So I can't touch the mic. I'll, I'll, I'll shout for the next bit, right? So I wake up. I wake up like this. I wake up half inside, half outside a hot tub. <laughs> the D&D hostel does not have a hot tub. The lower half of my body, it's so wrinkled that it makes the top of a cauliflower look like a sheet of paper. The top half of me is sunburned to absolute fuck. And what woke me up from my methamphetamine slumber was two children jumping into said hot tub, me coming to and seeing the parents put their towels down on the daybed. And at this point, I realise I'm naked. <laughs> so I quickly get out of the hot tub. And I throw up a little bit in my mouth. And I'm very confused and quite scared, because this is horrible. I have none, none of my belongings. Luckily, I'd left my passport in the safe hands of the concierge in the D&D hostel, who I'm sure hasn't sold it. And I look at the parents, they look at me, I look at myself, the children look at me, they think I'm a mutant, so I run away. Um, I ran into an elevator, went down, went straight, grabbed the towel off the daybed, wrapped it around me for decency. People are like, what the fuck is that? It's like Wrinkle Monster coming out to play. So I try and find the D&D hostel, and I'm really confused, and I'm actually feeling really fucking scared, because I've clearly been drugged. So I <laughs> go into the, the, the hostel, and straight away, it's like, Mr. Blaney, you're your flight, you have to go, you're flying. I'm like, my flight's on Wednesday. And she goes, it is Wednesday. <laughs> I went out Monday night. <laughs> so I run up to my room, and I get sick in the toilet because I'm fucking terrified at this stage. Get all my stuff together, run down, get into a taxi, fall asleep in the taxi because I'm obviously drained, run to the, in, like, throw the last bit of bat I have at the taxi man, go into the airport, run up to Qantas. I'm like, really sorry. I haven't checked the time at this time at all. Uh, run up and I'm like, I'm really sorry. I missed my flight. I'm like, your flight left two hours ago. So I've got no money. And I sit down and I compose myself and I just start crying. Right? I was like 20 at the time. This nice man comes up to me who has airport as a badge, right? Which is fantastic qualification. He's uh, like, do you need to call somebody? I'm like, yeah. So he gives me his phone. I call my mum. I'm like, ring, ring. Didn't know what time it was in Ireland. Um, so she picks up the phone. like, hello, hello. And I'm like, mum. And she's like, Jonathan, is that you? I'm like, you know the way I'm dyslexic? I messed up the times with it. And she's like, bullshit. You know? It's like, you've been drinking. You missed your flight. Call me back at a reasonable time. It's like five in the morning. So she hung up with me. So I was like, oh, God. So have my last remaining somehow scrounge some bat. And in, this is what the sort of state I'm in, right? Instead of buying water or food, I went to the bookshop and bought Jeremy Clarkson's 10 best inventions ever made. I fucking hate Jeremy Clarkson. Yeah. 
But I had to pass the time, and I drank from the toilet. It was perfectly safe. So, anyway, time passes for my mum. She does a Western Union transfer. I leave my bag in the safe hands of this old woman who doesn't speak English, who's the uh, assistant of the airport man. Uh, get in taxi with the stranger, go to the Western Union transfer, take a 32,000 baht, give it to this man in an envelope. And this man smiles, and he goes, oh, thank you, thank you. And he says, well, my assistant will give you your, your ticket. And then starts to walk out of the airport. <laughs> this old woman's been minding my bag at the time. So I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Something has gone awry. <laughs> so she gives me this handwritten piece of paper anyway, and she waves as well, and this guy's now left, and I run up to the, the flights, and I try and find it, and it is actually a flight number, and I run up to Air, Turkish Airlines, and I'm like, this is a flight, Mr. Airport gave it to me, and they're like, what are you talking about? This isn't his ticket. No, please, please, just put it in, for God's sake. Um, so they put it in, it was a real flight to Istanbul. <laughs> With a nine-hour stopover to Dublin. So I was like, oh, God, at least I'm getting home. So anyway, I wait, get on the flight, wait uh, nine hours in Istanbul, check my bag, obviously there's no drugs in it. Um, now, on the flight to Istanbul, there was no food on the plane. There was, however, hazelnuts. So I ate about two, three kilos of hazelnuts, because <laughs> uh, I hadn't eaten in days. And I kind of spend the afternoon mooching around Istanbul airport, like basically stealing food um, from like, young families and people I think looked healthy. Um, <laughs> and I get onto the flight. I'm queuing in the flight, and I get onto the flight, and I sit down, and I'm like, oh, finally I'm getting home. And I begin to get this rash around my crotch. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm not that sort of guy, okay? No, seriously, I'm not. So I'm sitting down, and this rash is just like hot nettle rash, and it starts to spread up my belly. I'm like, well, this is not normal. And then it starts to go up, and up my heart rate's kind of getting faster and faster. And I'm sitting beside this doctor, and I was playing with my dad's doctor, and I was having that, oh, doctor, doctor, try to like fix me, fix me now. Uh, and he drinks some wine, goes to sleep, and then this rash like starts constricting my neck, and my whole chest is like swelling, and my vision is blurry, and he's gone to sleep. So I go to the airline, uh, like the, you know, the people on the plane who do the stuff, whatever they're called. And I was like, I was like, help me! And I was just like, this blotchy mess. And they're like, Jesus! And they put the call out, and there's this other Israeli doctor on the plane, and she comes over, and she's like, what the hell have you eaten in the last 24 hours? And I was like, I know, maybe like four kilos of hazelnuts. <laughs> and uh, she was like, have you ever done that before? And I was like, no, no, help me. I can't breathe, and I can't see it in my left eye. So she, I had to pull my hands down. Two injections right in my ass, antihistamine adrenaline, pass out, wake up in Dublin. The airline is so shit that they just kind of brush over the fact that this has happened and they're like, oh, enjoy, you know, thanks for flying with us, get the fuck out of our plane. <laughs> uh, got a taxi home, obviously didn't have any money, so I like knocked on the door and I was like, Mom, I need money for the taxi. <laughs> and then she just took one look at me and she's like, Jesus Christ, what happened to you? And that is my story. That was Johnny Blaney with uh, a story there that would make the recent delays at all the airports over in Ireland and Europe uh, seem like a walk in the park uh, in comparison to, to what he went through. And a massive thanks to Johnny for sharing his story way back in uh, 2019 when things were... A little simpler, shall we say. Um, okay, on to our next storyteller. 
which actually comes from our most recent Story Slam in the Sugar Club in Dublin. And it comes from Sophie Musley, who was the winner of the show. Sophie was there with her teenage daughter, Zada, and a massive thanks has to go to Zada as she convinced her mum to get up and tell the story in the first place. And we're so happy she did. This is Sophie Musley. My daughter loves, ever since she was a little kid, she wasn't into toys or, you know, if, if it was her birthday, if it was Christmas, you wouldn't buy her toys or physical presents. She loved going places. So it was a tradition in our house that I'd buy her tickets to go somewhere. Now, it started with a thigh. Uh, one Christmas. She was really happy. It was this really vintagey, old-fashioned B&B in a thigh, and we showed up on Stephen's Day, like, and the woman looked at us like we had two heads. I was like, what are you doing here? And we're like, oh, it's, a, it's, her, it's her Christmas present. <laughs> she literally said, there's fuck all to do around here right now. <laughs> but we walked the streets, and we looked at the bakery, and we looked at the butchers, and it was like, ah. And there was a very sad playground, and we played in the playground. She was too old, but we still did it. And, uh, but since then, you know, we've, do, we've done loads of places. We've done Porto in Portugal. We've, you know, we do lots of England, but we do a lot of staycations as well. So, like, trim as well. We did trim. Um, yeah. If it's in the back arts of nowhere, we go there. Yeah. Um, but like that... It, it was. It, she, it just brought us so much joy. It, it brought us so much happiness to know that Mammy is taking me somewhere. So, um, it, as I said, it became a tradition, always buying her a ticket, going somewhere, until she, it was the birthday. It, 2019, she had just turned, I think, 14 or 15. I can't remember. I'm a, I'm a shite mother. But um, <laughs> she turned something. And... Um, I was like, okay, we'll go again somewhere in Ireland. And if you remember, if you cast your mind back, if you think hotel prices are expensive now, 2019, a trip down to Cork, where I was going to take her for her birthday, a trip down to Cork, one night stay in a hotel, was averaging around 480 euros for the two of us. And just by coincidence... Uh, an email from Ryanair popped into my inbox and it was like, deals, you know, blah, you know those stupid emails. And, um, and I clicked on it and we could fly to Malta for the weekend for like, I think, 100 euros. And I got an Airbnb and that was for like two nights for 50 euros. And I'm like, grand. And so we got on a plane and flew to Malta for her birthday. And everybody was like, oh my God, Sophie, you're so extravagant. So it was like, trust me, car could have been extravagant. <laughs> So we're on the plane. We, uh, I get into a fight, with, of course, because we're seated, you know, random seating. I'm not paying for seating with her. But um, she's seated next to this woman who, like, you know, kind of, like, pats her head because my daughter has curly hair. And I'm like, don't you touch my child. And she's like, I never touch your child. A fist fight. Um, We land in Malta, it's quarter to midnight, we find the Airbnb, everything's fantastic. Now, we were really hyped. This was going to be a really great trip. And we're, we don't do hot weather, so we were both, like, scorched. We were dying. It was so hot. It was, like, 25. <laughs> and and we're, we're walking around Malta, and we, we really went all out, went to Penny's, got, you know, got the summer clothes. 
And we got these like kind of matching, you know, sorry for any environmentalists around here, single use only plastic bags. <laughs> you know, the ones you carry on the beach, they're really iridescent and really camp and really cool. So we got matching ones and we're walking all around Malta and having a brilliant time, except she goes, ma'am, my feet are burning. I'm like, I'm, mine are burning too. Now, if you've never been to Malta, it's not a beachy, you know, kind of island. There's rocks every, so it's not like you can just go onto the beach. You have to take a trip to the beach. Uh, and we're walking around this town and I, I kind of go, well, it's kind of like a promenade, almost like a pier. So I'm surely at the end of it, there'll be a place where you could kind of descend. And sure enough, we walk and walk and walk. And there's just at the end, this abrupt end of a pier, there was something like a platform, just like two steps down. So we climb over and we hop onto that platform. We put our bags next to us and we put our feet into the water. And it was the best feeling ever because the water was cold and lovely and nice. And, and we were looking there and I took a video just to send it back to work to say look at me like this is so cool and I click upload the video onto Facebook and then I put the you know I put the phone into my bag again I'm looking at it I was like isn't it fantastic and she goes yes and then this wave comes over and we're drenched and we're giggling like hyenas and we turn around and my PVC single-use plastic bag is floating out into the Mediterranean <laughs> the wave had carried it away and because it was you know brilliant plastic it was still floating on <laughs> and I look at that and I think that's my car keys my house keys back home the Airbnb keys bo both passports all the money I have literally drifting into the horizon so as a responsible mother I jumped into the sea and I swam out I can swim I know I'm fat but I can swim I swam out, I grabbed the bag, and I triumphantly swam back with the bag over my head. And, yeah. and it was, I swear to God, it was like one of these movies, you know, when it's starting to kind of see, and the water's just starting to seep in, and I grabbed, and I gave it to her, and I was like, here, put this away, and she did. And if I end up the story here, it's such a triumphant, you know, wonderful story. Except she puts the bag away and then I realize I'm in the feckin' water and I'm on the pier and I can't, I am that fat, I can't jump onto the pier. So I'm trying to jump up and people are walking past and they're laughing at me. And I couldn't see it, like all I could see is just, you know, concrete and I'm not that agile. And eventually this, I swear to God, almost like a goddess, a Maltese goddess, this girl rips off her t-shirt where a teeny weensy bikini and jumps into the water just to shame me a little more. And she goes, follow me. And I follow her. And suddenly, here is Miss, swam a mile in a month, the month she learned how to swim. Here is Miss, I can do 500 meters in like less than an, uh, half an hour. Like, here is Miss, I'm a champion swimmer, waddling like a turtle behind this majestic being. Uh, she gets out of the water, I get out of the water, I'm soaked, I've no shoes, they've gone, my flip-flops have gone into the Mediterranean, but we've got the bag, and we... <laughs> Sophie Musley, who was crowned the winner of our last Story Slam and will be invited to take part in the annual Grand Slam next year. Now, while Sophie's stories was about when you're on holidays and how things can change 
in an instant. Our next storyteller knows this only too well. So Shane Comer has been coming to the Story Slam for years. And when the call went out on that light, that fateful night, he felt it was long overdue to get up and share a story. I really don't know what was taking Shane so long because this is a gorgeous holiday-inspired story about Shane's grandmother that kicked off the evening. This is Shane Comer. So my name is Shane and the story I'm going to tell you about is... Uh, about a last holiday. So you know that really awful Queen Latifah movie, The Last Holiday, where it turns out she's fine? Yeah. Only, th- yeah, only thing that this story shares with that is the name. Um, so for context, uh, context, I'm going to tell you about my grandmother. So Molly Martin, and she's dead a number of years now, but she'd be 102 if she was alive. Uh, actually, 102 in two days if she was alive. But uh, she was from County Wexford and she was, she was old stock. You know, she went to primary school, moved up to Dublin at 12 and just worked the rest of her life. So this is my mum's mum. She was very difficult to get her compliment out of. I remember dad telling the story when uh, he went to ask for uh, her blessing. She just looked him up and down and said, yeah, it'll never last and walked away. <laughs> That's the type of woman we're dealing with here. Um, she never left the country. She never owned a passport, never sat in a plane in her life. But this is about her last holiday. So she was from a small little village in County Wexford. And one year, it was summer 2006, dad, my dad decided, feck it, we'll, we'll do a, a couple of days away and we'll invite your mum, talking to my mum. So we'll invite your, your, uh, your mother, Maria, and we'll bring her along. So we booked into this little town in, in Wexford called Bunclody, um, booked into the hotel there, and my grandmother had never been on a holiday in her life. It was never in, in the cards for her, never written in the stars for her. And we were in this small little hotel, and because it was her first holiday, she brought along a handbag she'd never used. She brought along a watch that didn't work for about the last 35 years. <laughs> she brought along a set of pearls that were probably plastic, but you never know with people of that age. They could be sitting on her dull mine. Um, <laughs> subsequently found out, yeah, she wasn't. Um, <laughs> But she brought all this uh, stuff with her because she was on holiday. She was staying in a hotel. She was used to her own one-bedroom little terraced house um, where she'd spent the previous, what, 70 years. And we were in, say for one example, so then the the first, the second night, we went for dinner. And it was a lovely restaurant in Bunclody. And anyone who knows Bunclody knows that's a real stretch of a statement. But it was pretty nice. (laughs) But um, (laughs) we went to this restaurant. It was really lovely and fancy-ish food for her. And there was nothing, there's, you know, sort of a, a chicken roulade or a confit duck breast. And, like, she'd never seen any of these words before in her life. You know, a lamb stew and a bit of brown bread and butter was her kind of thing. So she actually pulled the waiter aside, whispered in his ear while we were all ordering our food. And I'm like, what did you order? And she said, you'll see, you'll see. Waiter comes back with an omelette. It wasn't on the menu, but asked the chef and he made it and she was completely happy with herself and she was thrilled with it. But that's just a, the context of, of being on this holiday. And we were staying in this town where she was actually from, Bunclody. And there's always something that she'd always said to me over the years was, Shane, will you please find out for me when the name changed? Because the name of the town used to be Newtown Barry, which was given to us by the Brits. Then it was changed to Bunclody in the 1950s. That's the, the story there anyway. But she'd always wondered when that had happened. But anyway, for the next two or three days, we went around all the places that she grew up. We went to the schoolhouse, which was now a local community centre where she had been in school in the 1920s. We went to her old family home, which was now owned by uh, a young couple with two small kids. We pulled up to the front of it, and my grandmother just got out of the car at a sprint, and she just walked onto the property. 
She didn't ring the doorbell, like the side gate of it was opened and she just walked onto the property. There was two massive border collies bearing teeth, but she wasn't being stopped. She kept going, walked down to the back of the field where she grew up and I could see the, um, the, 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 the wife in the house. She ran out in the dressing gown. The husband was there fully dressed, looking around the corner like, what the fuck is this old one doing? But she explored the place, explained to them that she grew up here. You know, she was one of nine children, born there in 1920. And we explored all around where she grew up. We went into Enniscorthy for the day um, and had a look around there because she would have gone in there as a child to market with her, grand with her father, who was a farmer. And we'd been around all these places, seeing where she grew up, seeing how she lived her life before she left for Dublin at the age of 12. And we came back to Bunclody then late that, late that afternoon, early evening. And we said, you know what, we'll be a bit fancy. There's a little B&B or sort of hotel within Bunclody. We'll go for afternoon tea. You know, soup and a sandwich, cup of tea, happy out. So we parked the car in the square in Bunclody and we're walking across the road to the hotel. Uh, and I'm in front with my dad and then my mum, my sister and my grandmother are behind me. And we, uh, I just decided to turn around when I got to, the, got to the front door. And I see behind me that my grandmother is on the flat of her back over sort of a, a boundary wall about this high around the green in the middle. She was flat on her back, gasping for air. She had a massive heart attack. I was the first over to her across the road, and that face will stay with me for a lifetime. Um, but I was the first across the road, helped her onto her back. And what I'm going to tell you now is the fortuitous circumstances that happened on this holiday. Immediately driving past when that happened was a GP who had just finished up in the clinic up the road. He'd got out and started doing CPR for about 45 minutes on her. The Monclody Fire Brigade, which had only the previous week had, the, had a, a defibrillator installed, who were coming back from a call-out, used it on her and got her heart going again. So after 45 minutes, her heart got going again. She was brought to Wexford General. My mother had to be given a Valium or something to be put to sleep. I think my dad just had a tall whiskey. Um, <laughs> but anyway, we called everybody that night, told them what happened, went to the hospital the next day, and we got the awful news that there was no brain activity. Her heart had been gone for too long, and she had the heart of a 40-year-old. She was 86, but she had the heart of a 40-year-old, so we just kept going. And over the coming days, aunts and uncles, my mum's siblings, came down from Dublin or from the UK. Um, my grandmother's remaining sibling, um, her sister, my Auntie Josie, she was 83, I think, at the time. She came down from Dublin. They sat around the bed, sang the old songs. They sang Boule Vogue, these Wexford songs around the bed. But there's two stories within that that I'll tell very quickly, um, which I love. One is that it was, um, so my mum's the youngest of four, and it was herself and her, her two other sisters. Um, my uncle wasn't there. And they were just in the, in the ICU with her, and they were talking to her. And for some reason, they were talking about when she'll be brought back to Dublin for the funeral. We were just waiting for her heart to go at this stage. It took a week before her heart finally gave out. She wasn't on machines or anything, keeping it going. Um... <laughs> and they were talking about this anyway, uh, what would happen. And for some reason, my aunt um, decided that the funniest thing was imagining the hearse driving up the motorway to Dublin from Wexford, the back door's open, and she just rolls all the way back to Wexford on her trolley. <laughs> and suddenly they sort of, oh, Molly, the trolley dolly. And they just found this the funniest thing in the world. They're in an ICU where other patients are, you know, in a similar boat, but their families are in bits, crying in tears. <laughs> and there's this hysterical laughter coming from my grandmother's sort of cubicle and the nurse the ICU nurse comes in and my, my aunts see this happen so my one, one of my aunts just turns away like this as if she's in the midst of grief <laughs> my other aunt who are both older than my mum my other aunt just put her just put her face flat down on the bed 
and kept laughing as if she was, again, overcome with grief. My mother has always been the muggins and was just lying back like this in the chair, pissing herself laughing. And the nurse had a look like a pipple that like piss off a nettle and she was just so offended that in this moment of grief, this woman was just bursting her shits laughing. But anyway, that's what happened. Um, and we, I remember we were driving up behind the hearse when eventually she did pass away back up to Dublin. And I was myself and my mum and my aunts were in the car and they just broke out laughing. They just broke out laughing because they couldn't get Molly the trolley dolly out of their head. But the best part about this for me was that in the hotel where we were staying, and it was, you know, you could access the internet in the old PC and you put like a euro in for 10 minutes or something like that before we had smartphones. Um, I'm 31 and I sound like I'm 16 now. It's like before we had smartphones. <laughs> but I searched the name of her town and I found the exact year that... Newtown Barry became Bunclody, and it was 1953, March 1953, with the passage of a piece of legislation. And the last thing that I told my grandmother in her hospital bed was, this is when it happened. You wanted to know, this is when it happened. That was her last holiday. It was the only holiday I had with her, but it was a hell of a holiday. Thank you. Shane Comer there. Our next Story Slam is Tuesday the 16th of August at the Sugar Club in Dublin. Our host will be Colm O'Regan and the theme of the night is family. So if you've got a story to share about your own family and it doesn't have to be a family by blood, it can be a family of friends, a family of your colleagues at work uh, or a family of you know people you just kind of hang out with and are your adopted family then we would love to hear from you. Just email us story at the dublinstoryslam.com and we'll walk you through how it all works. The show is sold out as usual, but we've got a waiting list running um, that you can join over at the dublinstoryslam.com. Now, our last story of the night, and it it's a bonus story, so we normally do three stories per episode but this time we decided to add in this extra one because it was such a great fun story uh, it comes from Mary Kilduff who you might remember way back in episode 31 Blessings and Curses Mary you had the story about her phone and uh, a misadventure that happened involving the Dublin sewers uh, this story couldn't be further from that one but uh, it's just as memorable this is Mary Kilduff. Hello. So my story has some similarities to Sophie's as well. So when we were coming out of lockdown, I decided to go to Rome when they were coming out of lockdown also. Um, and I decided to do the Camino. So there's a Camino from the top of Italy all the way to Rome. Um, and I did it with a group of women I'd never met before. And they were all amazing and uh, I had an amazing journey all the way with them but while we were walking the guide who was showing us the way uh, his name is Chicho and he recommended that I visit Panza Island which is just off of Naples and it's kind of beyond Capri Island so I had gotten to Rome I was having an amazing time I had made friends and I was going out drinking and I did like pizza and pasta making courses the real like Italian experience and uh, so I decided to journey down to Naples and get on a very very early ferry to Panza Island and there was a 
storm rolling in as we were waiting for the boat. And while I was waiting for the boat, I saw someone in front of me with a backpack, like a backpacker's backpack, with lots of stickers of different flags of all the countries they'd been to. And on the top of it was an American flag. So I was like, oh, they must be American. So I was like, oh, like, are you going to Ponds Island too? Even though we were in the line for that boat. And, uh, <laughs> And I was like, are you American? And he turned around and was like, no, I'm Italian. And he was so offended that I assumed he was American. Um, and so we got chatting and we decided to sit on the upper deck of the boat. But in Italy, the restrictions, you start to wear a mask. So I never saw his face the whole time that we uh, were on the boat. And so we were telling each other about our journeys and our travels. And we were both solo traveling. And uh, he was telling me that he was a lizard scientist. And he was going to Ponza Island because there was... Um, this breed of lizards on Panza Island that was nowhere else in the world. So he was doing his like doctorate on these exact lizards and was telling me all about these lizards. And I was telling him about how there's this amazing rock pool in Panza Island and he knew of it. And uh, it was also off season. So there wasn't a lot of people going to Panza Island. And so I told him all about this rock pool and it's really amazing and he knew of it. And so we got to the island and we realized that we were both staying in the same um, hotel and there was no other kind of tourist. So so we exchanged numbers and we were like, why don't we do dinner together this evening in the same hotel? And so we went our separate ways. So I checked into the hotel and I packed my bag and I head off across the island to go find this rock pool. Um, and it took about an hour to get there. And when I got to the rock pool, it was about the size of this stage. And at the edge of the rock pool, there was a tunnel carved into the cliffside so that when people came in from the ocean, they could come through this little tunnel and like park their little like dinghies to get to their actual like super yachts or whatever and um so I was kind of standing there getting ready and there was like absolutely nobody around and in the off season they take all the ladders out of the rock pool and so I was there obviously in the off season there was no ladders and I was kind of looking over the edge and along along the edge I could see sea urchins um and I could also see little jellyfish floating around in the rock pool and then all of a sudden this boat came through the little tunnel and it was like an Italian family and they all had like their big bags of shopping from the mainland and then they got off and I was like oh can I can I swim in here and they were like yeah yeah whatever and like went off and left their little boat in the water and so um, for Instagram I set up my phone in my shoe and hit record and I was like all ready to go and I was like you know the sea urchins whatever like they're just along the top and the jellyfish I had got stung the day before it wasn't that bad whatever and I was just like three two one and jumped in the rock pool um, with not like a second thought and I was like oh this is so lovely I was swimming around bearing in mind there was a storm rolling in from earlier in the day um, and I was swimming around it was so lovely and then I swam up to the edge to kind of pull myself out and I could see just the entire like edge of the rock pool was covered in sea urchins and for anyone that doesn't know what a sea urchin is, it's a little ball that's covered in black spikes, and I think they're poisonous. Um, so there was no way I was going to get out by lifting myself out, and there was no ladders or ropes or anything. And then I was like, maybe I'll just swim through the little tunnel. Um, and when I got to the edge of the tunnel, it was full of jellyfish because it was dark. Um, and so I was like, oh, okay. And uh, all this time, it was actually, I was being recorded by my phone. <laughs> um, and I was just swimming around, uh, trying to think of a plan. And, and so then I started going, mom, I'm so sorry. Uh, and started kind of giving a will <laughs> to the phone. 
Um, and so I was like, okay, I have to find my way out. So I went into kind of like final destination mode and went over to the little dinghy that the family had kind of moored earlier. Um, and I went to the back of the boat and there was a ladder and I pulled on it and the first rung of the ladder popped down, but then it was locked with a chain. So I couldn't pull myself up. So I used the ladder to kind of leverage myself up and I released the motor on the back of the boat and it dropped into the water. Um, and then while using the ladder and the motor of the boat, I threw myself into the boat, um, but it was still in the middle of the rock pool and I was still being filmed by my phone. <laughs> Um, and so I lifted the anchor out of the water, pulled the boat to the edge of the rock pool and just flung myself onto the rocks and then landed on the rocks. Had a little cry, uh, stopped recording. I had been in the water for an hour. Um, and um, I was kind of sitting there, kind of giving out to myself, being like, how could you be so careless and reckless? And then my phone pinged, and it was Francesco, the lizard scientist who I had met um, on the boat. And he was like, are you still up for dinner? And I was like, yeah, of course, uh, <laughs> sure. Um, so I, soaking wet, sun setting, head back to the other side of the island to meet Francesco for dinner. And because we had been wearing masks the entire time on the boat, I had never actually seen what he looked like. Um, and so I was, got back to the hotel. It was, no one else was in the hotel. And he was just sitting in the restaurant, big smile on his face, and like a huge Luigi mustache, <laughs> or like Mario mustache. And I was like, oh. And I was like, oh, what's so, tell me about your day and he told me he caught loads of lizards and um, a fun fact about lizards is that when you catch them uh, he would like take a photo and measure them and then I was like oh like do you have to take a sample he was telling me he takes samples and stuff and to take the sample you hold them by the tail and they release the tail and run off um, and he would keep the tail so at dinner he showed me all his little <laughs> Lizard tail samples, um, um, that was lovely. And then, uh, <laughs> and then, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I had no idea, but it was actually Halloween and it was a full moon. And we went out into the streets of Panza where the kids throw eggs and flour at you. Um, and that was how I spent my time at Ponce Island. And then the next day I went out lizard hunting with him and it was amazing and we're still friends. And that is my story. <laughs> was Mary Kilduff there with the last story of our episode inspired by the theme holidays um, thanks a million for listening if you've enjoyed this story then make sure to go back and listen to 32 more episodes um, that are currently up wherever you get your podcasts from if you like it you can always leave a rating or a review it's always a nice little hug for us and we love hearing from our overseas uh, visitors as well uh, who unfortunately can't be at these shows, but maybe, maybe one day, maybe one day. Um, hopefully we, you're getting just a little snippet of the magic that happens at the Dublin Story Slam. We will be back on the 16th with lots more stories. Don't forget, if you want to share one, story at the com. You have to be in Dublin. You have to be able to tell the story live. But apart from that, uh, it's pretty simple. So just email us and we will walk you through it. Thanks a million to all our wonderful storytellers. So that was Johnny Blaney, Sophie Musley, Shane Comer and Mary Kilduff. And we'll speak to you on the next episode of 
the Dublin Story Slam podcast. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.